0: Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about what books and sheets and resources do you use in online play versus offline play? Have things gotten better for you? Have things gotten better for us, Paul, is really (laughs) what I'm most interested (laughs) in. And uh, will you continue in that vein uh, once we can get back together in person? or yeah. not
1: yeah when when we were discussing this um dan i challenged us to try and uh, lean more into the private games that you and i have been playing rather than uh the streaming games because i think those have different yeah. demands and i think it's more pertinent to folks who have now been playing online games probably since march uh, maybe we have a few lessons learned of like what does and doesn't work and what do we miss and what do we think is improved um, that's a
0: really good point and obviously i've uh, like like my mind goes to um you know public streaming a lot and it's a good thing to remind me of the more maybe the more common case but really the more intimate case i should guess i should say of not streaming and we should also give a a, a thank you shout out to dan ebert who gave us the idea for this particular episode Uh, in comments I think to our Dice prior Dice episode a couple weeks
1: back that's that's right this was uh, when we were talking about virtual Dice versus physical Dice Uh, Dan Ebert left us a very nice comment which I'll read out here he said I think we can all agree physical Dice are better than virtual but what about character sheets DM screens or laptops word processors or notebooks slash binders how do you guys use these tools what's on your DM screen and in your binder (laughs) which I think is really interesting yeah
0: great great question yeah So, okay, so let me let me take let yeah. me start off with a stab at this. Uh, I'm an old school kind of guy. Um, I'm setting my ways a little bit, uh, so I'm used to having paper books and uh, physical uh, screens uh, and a bunch of handouts and sheets. And I've spent time customizing player character sheets the way that I want. And I'm mostly still using the same stuff. I have not radically changed my practice. So when I'm running games online, I do have most of the same stuff just off to my left. I have the same book and the same sheets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a couple of dice only for like this, the, the occasional secret roles that I make, which aren't many. Um, and I'm trying to, I've tried to stick mostly with the same, the same resources that I've used with a couple of additions, uh, whether we're playing on Discord or Roll20, um, You know, I'll just say, like, the one thing I have not dived deeply into is, say, the Roll20 macros making, you know, sheets that have rollable uh, Mm -hmm. rollabilities or skills or things like that. I really haven't dug into that in Roll20. Okay.
1: Uh, But I'm always
0: on the cusp of it. That's that's
1: an area I can dig into more, so I'm going to be leaning a lot on my Great. weekly 5e game that I play with Great. a few folks, uh, including uh, the Great. delightful Mr. Ari Salvatore. Um, and uh, that group is a bit of, uh, bit of an older group, more used to the older stuff, but we were honestly, even before COVID, starting to lean more into digital tools. And specifically, um, when we started playing 5e, because previously we had been playing um, Demon Wars, when we started playing 5e, uh, we started using D and D Beyond, which is very nice for basic character sheet management. Right for the play on the player side. Now I'm talking specifically the player side, not the DM side. Many of our right. players had either a laptop or a tablet, and their character sheet was on that because they made their characters in D and D Beyond. And then it has very nice tools for tracking things, right? Like which spells have you cast, and uh, what happens when you take a rest, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It Has that that bit of automation that a more complex system like Five E uh, actually benefits from? So I was used to that. that. We we were used to that already. We're sitting around the table, like with tablets and stuff, using using D and D Beyond, and we had become accustomed to that. And that's a big thing. Honestly, for that group, and I suspect for others, of just, like, what are you already comfortable with, right? Like, right. what is what is the transition like to go from, you know, we're used to playing in this way, and now we have to play in this new way. How many new things do I have to learn? Right, right, totally. Um, so so yeah, we've been course. using Roll20 and, and D&D Beyond for that game.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. We, were you using Roll20 prior to the lockdown?
1: No. No, roll 20 okay. is the thing we added in. Um, right. And uh and roll there's there's a very delightful third party um, plugin called Beyond 20 which specifically links your D&D Beyond uh, stuff wow. to roll 20. Uh, and if you're not using wow. this and you are using both D D Beyond and Roll 20, then you're doing it wrong. Definitely get Beyond 20. Uh, what, what that means for me, like for as a player, what that means is I've got two browser windows open. I've got roll 20 in one browser window and my character sheet and yeah. D Beyond on the other. And the plugin basically puts buttons all over my character sheet. So if say if he, the DM says make a dexterity save, I can just go to the dexterity save part of my character sheet. There's a button there that says roll. I click it, it rolls it in roll 20. Wow. And it like, you know, pumps through all the figures out all the correct bonuses and et cetera, et cetera. And just plump, you know, rolls the right number of dice and the right modifiers and puts that onto roll 20.
0: Wow. That, that
1: is a really powerful tool for us. And frankly, every time we've talked about now, there's certainly lots of frustrations of, of things we're using around, uh, just video chat and roll 20 and, and even D and D beyond. But, um, when we've looked at other systems not having that has been enough of a of an obstacle for us to go nah, i guess we'll stick with what we have
0: okay fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. so of course we were using uh you and i were using dnd beyond for the character sheets in our show the big bad last year yep um and i act- was the first one to make the uh the characters in dnd beyond so i certainly agree as someone who was kind of new stepping into the fifth edition game it certainly helped me uh, quickly get up and get a, get a nice batch of characters running for our roster, you know, made a cup, had a couple of, of, uh, glitches that I had to work through after, after a while, not too many, which was nice. Many of our, you know, fifth edition players coming onto the show were, as you're saying, accustomed to that, yeah. comfortable with that. The one thing that a co- that tripped up a couple people, of course, is that they didn't own the, uh, the characters we did. So they didn't actually. They could view them online, but they didn't have the interactivity of uh, the doing rests or managing hit points or spells online. They could only right. view it. Yeah. So that 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 little bit of us owning it in a uh you know tournament situation and the players not having the interactivity surprised a couple people. It is it is um, a
1: slightly unusual use case, I will grant you, right? Most most people yeah. who are playing at home, they're gonna make their characters themselves on D and D Beyond yeah. and therefore have access to it. I think D and D a great tool, by the way, for fifth edition character sheets, whether you're playing digital or in real life, I think it's an excellent tool. Um right. But uh, you're right. There are some there are some minor hiccups. Um, I, I think the major one that we should call out, right, is the fact that it's not it's not the best at filtering out sources, right? Mm-hmm. We we consistently, both in my regular game and in the big bed, we wanted to limit it down to just the core books and say no, you know, we're not gonna use Xanathar's Guide to Everything or or uh, the, the the new Tasha's book or any of that stuff, right? We're gonna just use the three core books. And while character creation has a lot of filters for that kind of stuff, sometimes it's fairly easy for example, in spell selection that was the big one we noticed I think a lot going into spell yeah. selection, picking what's going to go in your spell book it just stuff just leaked in right I think it was um, oh. it's the elemental evil book I think that the, those spells just kept showing up and we we're like what? Yeah. I, no, we don't want to use that yeah. book. why are those spells here? So that was annoying. I
0: got at least one or two on the actual character sheets not being aware of that and i can't remember yeah. what it was it was it was like one of the right one of the elemental like I don't know, like a sandstorm spell or something like yeah. that crept onto some of these sheets yeah. Yeah. uh when I didn't, I didn't want it
1: yeah um, and
0: then there's a I I noticed yeah. there's a good comment here from eric worldender here um and i agree with it saying um d d beyond is a great tool for character sheets um you use it for character management it's horrible for looking rules up in and mm-hmm. so i think that um uh correlates with what we're saying about it being a little bit difficult for us to filter out the right spells. Yeah. And certainly when we were running the when we were running the Big Bad, I was looking at uh like at least on my end, I was looking at the PDF exports from D D Beyond for the character sheets. And I was actually looking up uh spells and rules, ironically enough, on the roll twenty, uh fifth edition D D encyclopedia. And so, over the course of a session, I had about forty windows open over here, of all the different spells and effects and magic items that people were trying to use as I was trying to, you know, counter strategize against it. So I had lots and lots of windows up, and I wa- i agree—I was not looking up rules and spells on D and D Beyond during a session.
1: You know, that's that's an interesting point because I do this a lot in my in my uh, weekly fifth edition game. Uh, so typically, I'm running uh with you know two monitors uh yeah. i've got the roll. i've got on one monitor i've already got uh the larger monitor is already split screen because i have uh video chat and roll 20 on yeah. there uh, yeah. i think somebody mentioned that that like the video chat in roll 20 is just a little flaky and not fantastic and i totally agree uh we were originally using discord and then eventually we switched to zoom um because yeah. uh, honestly discord is okay but it's very processor intensive and so if anybody's got a slightly older machine yeah. a video chat on discord gets rough i found
0: as you know i have way more trouble uh, on discord than i do on roll 20 we've we've yeah. very successfully had games uh, using roll 20 video without a problem and it, me me personally my system does not work well with the discord video yeah, yeah. almost uniquely um yeah. So, so it, it does it does vary. Interesting.
1: Yeah. For for our game, what I'm typically doing is I've got the roll twenty set to just show the nameplates so that the video is just the video system is just off. So yeah. I've got roll twenty, and then separately I have a Zoom window open and we're we're using the Zoom for, for our video call. Um, which yeah. works for us because I have an account and so I'm not limited to the 40 minutes that that uh, the free version of Zoom is limited to. Yeah. Um so so anyway, yeah. Um That said, oh, what I was trying to talk about there was uh, then in my secondary window, I have just a web browser with about three or four D&D Beyond tabs open. And usually when I'm setting up, I just open that window and open about three or four tabs to the homepage of D&D Beyond because I will just use their search feature as a reference to just be like, oh, I need this, I need this, boom, 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 right, right, right. It works great for I need the stats for this monster. Uh, I need to know how this spell works. It works much less well for how does this rule work? and that's,
0: gotcha.
1: I think well, I'm trying to remember, there was one that got me recently that it was bad enough that I said, hold on guys, I'm going to go grab my physical books because gotcha. D&D Beyond was just being too slow or difficult to look this up, and I think it was about, I think I was trying to find out travel speeds for different types of animals, like I was trying to, they were, they were arranging to go travel from Town A to Town B, and I was trying to figure out how long is that going to take and um, you know, different editions of the game have treated this differently enough that I'm like, mm, I, I know what my gut says, but I'm curious what 5th edition says. Let me look that up. And trying to search that in D&D Beyond was actually very difficult.
0: So let me dig into that, actually, because yeah. I feel like that's, that's interesting. And, and, it's, and I, this is something that's maybe just, like, so obvious it doesn't bear um, uh, commenting on. But why was it faster in a book? Like, how, what was your approach to that? Were you going to the Index did you just know what, what part of the book that was going to be sitting in?
1: Well, let me start with what happens in D&D Beyond, right? I, in fact, I've got a window of it open right here. So I'm just going to do, uh, I don't know, what should we look for? Overland travel, maybe. I'll type that as a search term. Um, okay, so here the, immediately the first problem is the search results are wide. And the first hit I get is actually uh, specific to the Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frostmaiden book. So I got an entry from there. Um, I've got entries from like specific adventures, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just because it is just a wide search of the word of the phrase overland travel across all sources and across all types. Now, one of the nice things D&D Beyond does have is right after you do a search, there's a bunch of buttons on the top that you can filter down. So I can filter down to just, I'm looking for a specific spell or monster or item, right? Those are great filters. And then there's one filter that's called compendium, and I often click on that one because that will just, no, no, I'm looking for rules, right? Like, I'm rules right. are what I'm looking for. But I'm still annoyed that I'm still getting all these entries from uh, Icewind Dale and from, um, uh, well, wow, uh, Wildmont and from uh, Explorer's Guide. Like, I really just want the original rules from the, the original three source books. I don't want all these odd... Like, maybe my search term is bad here, right? So that's my ne- my next step is, like, okay, maybe overland travel is, uh, you know, uh, a poor choice. So maybe I want to look up, like, a, like a horse cart because that's I want to know what the speed of a horse cart is. Okay, well, now I've got stats for riding horse and draft horse. And then a specific encounter from Curse of Strahd. Son of a—I mm, don't want wow. that. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, okay. Crazy. Yeah. So it gets a little weird. And again, this falls into the same category I think we were talking before about, like, how it's actually difficult in D&D Beyond to filter down by source. Right. Now, sometimes I will then, as a secondary point, there's a sources entry in D&D Beyond. And so I'll just go to the specific source book. I Oh, this is probably in the player's handbook. So I'll just click that. And now I have in front of me a digital version of the actual paper book. Right. And I'm looking at its index and I can click buttons and jump to those sections and say, OK, I'm going to just okay. look for this section. That's almost as good as having the physical book in my mind, okay. almost because it's still like linky. Right. So I click a link and now I've jumped to a section. How do I get back? Right. It's not quite as speedy for me as, say, having a physical book and like popping back and forth to the index or the table of contents and like flipping okay. through. So, I think okay. that's why I ultimately I wanted the book. I was like, okay, I kind of know these rules should be in the areas, possibly either about equipment or about, uh, you know, usually like the, the the not combat rules section, right? Which uh, right. Player's Handbook in this case calls and 5th edition calls adventuring. I guess probably right. in there, or maybe it's in the equipment right. section, so I can quickly jump around in the book. There you go.
0: Yeah. There
1: you go. I mean, that's really, I think, indicative of the, I'm looking for a set of rules that I know actually. Are going to be hard to find. I don't know precisely where in the book they're going to show up, and yeah. nor can I think of like the perfect search term for them.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. So we there's a couple there's a couple of comments that have gone by saying that the D and D rulebooks have historically had not very great indexes actually. Yeah. That's um, true. And I got to admit, I am not in the habit of relying on the index. It's almost like it's almost like an afterthought for me. And at least for the editions that I run. You know like i read like i maniacally read the books enough that i come to have a physical sense memory of of where where things are and i mean you know i have i have enough of a tiny little bit of a photographic memory that i can usually remember okay now i know i know that rule is on the top right hand of a page somewhere like about a third the way into the book, and usually I can I can you know with a physical book I can usually physically remember how deep into the book is and stick my thumb like around there and flip it wow. open and like wow. have about three or within about three or four pages that's usually where it is. Yeah. So now again that's that I'm someone that doesn't play a whole lot of game different games right I yeah. don't play a whole lot of different editions and I don't play a whole lot of different role playing games I dig really deeply into original D and D first edition and, and stuff like that. Um uh so I kind of have a physical sense memory of where it's in the book. That I totally lose using online tools. Um and just like uh I think it was definitely Joe a couple minutes ago in the chat said, uh you Google it and then if it doesn't show up on the first hit, I just I just give up. <laughs> so for the difference what I was doing. For a rule yeah. search, I would Google it. That would usually be a better search, and if it's not one of the top two or three hits, I just I would just move yeah. on. Yeah yeah again I think
1: the d and d beyond search embedded in d and d beyond is excellent for specific um entries of things again, I'll just say items monsters spells if you're looking up an right. item a monster, or a spell boom d and d beyond is perfect you just type in type in the name of it you're gonna find it like right away It's great at that but for like general purpose rules i think it's it's not the best and at that point i want i want the physical book. Uh, I agree with the notion that, like, yeah, you don't want to be digging through the book very long, and uh, you should just make something up. Uh, In this case, I had it in the back of my head that I thought that 5th edition had somewhat simplified overland travel, and I wanted to know what its rule was because I was curious, and I'm, uh, like, you know. it's Honestly, overland travel is one of those things I feel like I've thought a lot about, and it's one of those things that, like, um, I've debated. I'm sure you and I, Dan, have debated about it. I'm sure that the different systems have um, have treated it differently, and it comes up just infrequently enough that I haven't like completely internalized it. Yeah. Right, so I'm like, it's oh, funny it? because of of for that? Yeah. The,
0: the, you know, the the game, you know, the, the original D anD D game, you know, steals a lot from the avalon hill outdoor survival game right and it's weird sometimes that we still i mean obviously outdoor survival only had human beings with a backpack at the end um but sometimes it's kind of weird that we still haven't totally ironed out how to do wilderness adventures and outdoor outdoor travel when that was sort of the inception in the first place
1: I mean, this is a whole other topic, but I will just quickly say that I'm pretty sure that 5th edition, and somebody's going to correct me when I get this wrong, uh, I'm pretty sure that 5th edition actually does simplify it and takes the stance of, even though, you know, a riding horse is faster than a donkey pulling a cart in a short stint, that when you're talking about many days travel, ultimately all kind of the same, so... You know, nothing can keep up those high paces for super long. So whether you're walking or on a horse, uh, unless you're changing horses frequently, your movement across great distances for many days is the same. The end.
0: I'm going to table that. I'm going to not get distracted by the excellent, really interesting uh, topic that you're bringing up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And maybe some of our viewers could could comment on. <laughs> riding horse endurance uh (laughs) intelligently um uh and and, but i will say that that this is certain like i have a little bit of scar tissue on this because honestly uh in the in the distant past when you and i were co DMing a game once this was actually one of we had a major dispute over exactly this so yes, maybe that's maybe that's what you're also thinking of, Paul. It, uh, we we really tripped up over each other with radically different opinions about it.
1: It's an interesting stance to take because I don't feel like I've seen it in other systems of of like yeah, in the long term, ultimately m- overland movement is the same. Which I'm like, yeah, you could make that argument, but magic. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Inevitably, the players are going to find something that makes them go faster. Whether it's horses yeah. or magic spells or magic items, they're going to find something. So I need to know how to translate that into how long does it take to get from this town to that town that are 50 miles apart. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's, and that's not, not long term. I mean, that, that, that there are single day uh, riding competitions that travel that far or twice that far in a single day. Um, so as soon as you say, what's now you're what, you know, as soon as you say that what's long term now, yeah. I've got a Now I've got a one day chase happening and that's not, that's not long term. <laughs> um, sure. that's not the subject. That's not the subject today. So the subject today was, was, was online resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, you know, one thing I would definitely say is, you know, a- a advantage of the online environment is use less paper. I'm pretty sure that, you know, the overall paper and ink usage is, you know, more resource friendly than our, you know, than connecting digitally and sending some bits along a wire. I'm pretty, I think. Um, so admittedly, I'm, I'm definitely printing out less. I'm using less paper and less ink uh, mm-hmm. for the handout sheets and the supplements and the books that I used to print out uh, for, for around the table play. I yep. would call that a good thing. And I would also say that, that among the advantages I find is that there's better visibility. Um, I can very easily send a PDF of my customized spells to everybody that's playing in an online game with me. If there is a handout, like an illustration, everybody can see it. So instead of the, 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 the in-person table issue of like, here's a picture. Here's an illustration. I hand it to the other side of the table and it either has to go around the table or or not everybody sees it with using roll 20 or something like that everybody can immediately see it uh, as closely as they want and i think it was uh, i think it was william earlier saying that the mapping's really nice and when i was running a D&D game a couple months back on roll 20 i was really really happy that by providing a a map you know, instead of having that be isolated to one or two people being the dedicated mapper, everybody could see it and everybody could get involved. And yeah. what I found yeah. was a couple of people who had never been involved in the mapping previously were without any without any requests at all, were immediately jumping in with the drawing tools, drawing and annotating the map, and they'd never been involved with that before. And I really, really liked the fact that the entire party could get involved with the exploration mapping on World yeah. Yeah. I loved. I love, that, was, that was probably the, the number one accidental, uh, uh, happy little accident that happened with that. And I was very happy that everybody can see and everybody can participate with the handouts all the time. That right. was really
1: nice. Yeah. And you're, so you're talking specifically when you're talking about mapping, you're talking about sort of large scale maps where you're using something like Fog of War to slowly reveal the map over time as they explore the space, something
0: like that? Uh, I was Good, okay. yeah, okay. close yeah. enough. Because
1: yeah. because it, it, it's yeah. also worth talking about battle mats, right? So that's a right. big issue in my fifth edition game. Uh, that is very interesting, and I think there's sort of a yin yang of like there's there's pros and cons here to having gone digital. Um, on the one hand. We can have uh, we have more easily identifiable tokens for our characters and for the monsters. There's a lot more choices for images to import to you know just do a quick Google search and make a token for this this monster or that monster. Um, the maps themselves can look much more elaborate. Like there have been cases where I'm like okay I'm throwing together this quick encounter. The players uh, are in the woods and they found this uh, camp of orcs and they want to assault it. I need a, a campsite in the woods. And I just do a quick Google search. I'm gonna, quick, give me a and map for camp in the woods, and like find okay. something pretty good and chuck it up there. Um,
0: is, so, is this pre- preparation for a game, or is this actually in game? No, this is in game
1: in running. I'm talking about on really? the fly, right? Really? Yeah, on the fly. Yeah. Uh, there's also been cases where okay, maybe I didn't find something perfect, but I can quickly grab a bunch of uh, images of like trees and a campfire and tents, and I just plunk, 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 drop them down, and now I've got something pretty good right? Um, however, there's also been cases where I'm like, you know, I fall into that. Now there's this expectation that the visuals are going to be good. And so now, now I'm now I'm shifting in the direction. You're talking about a preparation of like, oh, okay, no, I know this big encounter is going to happen. I'm going to build this perfect map for it ahead of time right. and prepare it and spend a bunch of time, which on one hand is good because it looks nice, but on the other hand is like a bunch of my time that I don't, don't want to spend. So I've also occasionally... Uh, I've taken to in Roll20, I usually have one page that is just completely blank. There's just a blank grid, and I treat it like my my wet erase battle mat. I'm like, this is my battle mat page, and when the players do something crazy, and I just don't know, and I just need to quickly draw something, I chuck them on there, and then I'm literally just drawing lines on it, and just going, like pretending like it's a battle mat at the table. And it it looks much lower grade to some of the other maps that we play on, but it works, and it's honestly as good as when we were playing physically in person with a wet erase battle mat, it only doesn't look as good in comparison to the fancier higher grade artwork we've been using in other places.
0: Right. So it's interesting, right? right? I think there's
1: an interesting kind of just psychological effect there that you get used to the higher grade graphics very quickly. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is
0: weird. I have, I have been trying to keep that at arm's length. I mean, I've been trying to keep a lot of online tools at arm's length for a long time, but I've definitely been trying to keep it arm's length going down the pipe, of uh crafting beautiful battle maps for every single yeah. encounter because i mean among other things i feel like it gets away from the anything could happen at any time you know be surprised by random encounters or where you are things like that um and okay now as soon as i say that i'm thinking okay, i could take my tables i could take my i could take my random setting tables and I could get a I could get a customized battle map for every single one of the things on tables, and then pull it up anytime that happened. Uh, but again, I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. not. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to avoid doing that. Um, well, here's a here's another uh, nice thing
1: about the digital side, right? Is like it's, at least in Roll 20, you have you can make a whole bunch of pages, right? You can make a whole bunch of pages. You can have a whole bunch of battle maps that are either pre-set up or also the ability to like leave it media res, right? Like we're we're in the middle of this fight and we have to stop playing just gonna walk away and you don't have to worry about like yeah we need the table for dinner tonight right like no no it's fine just leave it
0: well that's a really good point actually that's a that's a that's a really good point or you know there or if you're doing a um you know a a campaign level war game or something like that that becomes a major issue but can you leave the the table of your of your war game set up for weeks or months yeah um
1: so that's, that's, that's a nice actually a really
0: yeah. actually not a good point yeah yeah um, you know uh, I would I would
1: point out like one of the big prep things I find myself doing a lot these days which I never would have done in the past is if you're talking about like larger map exploration where you're going to do fog of war stuff, a lot of times I'm just taking the map from the module scanning it or finding a digital version of it and then erasing all the secrets. Let me remove these numbers. Let me remove these secret doors. Let me remove right? all the stuff that I don't want to just accidentally have show up when the players are exploring.
0: Right, and I've done the same thing. Right, that's yeah. it, that's exactly what I did for my uh, pre published D anD dungeon that I did a couple a couple months back, um, and that seemed like a reasonable amount of work. Like I, that okay. didn't seem like an overwhelming amount of work. Is that you I totally do that? Just scan it, throw it in GIMP, erase some stuff, bring it into Roll Twenty. That seemed like a reasonable amount of work. Um, and then also, um, because there was a, uh, disorienting teleporter also take that and rotate it four different ways, <laughs> uh, depending on, depending on how you had your orientation scrambled up, which yeah. was fun. Um, so I do feel like if, you, if, if the, if the product itself already has that. So if the product itself already has illustrations or a battle map or an exploration map, I do feel it's, it's fairly, I was pretty happy with roll 20, how easy it was to get pre-made assets. From a published adventure scanned into roll 20. I, the yep. first time i did that i was actually surprised with no experience whatsoever i could do that within an hour or two for a whole, a whole adventure um, so if it's pre-made i think that's a fine a fine way to go about it and i also did that yeah yeah
1: yeah i find myself doing that a lot i know we weren't going to talk about streamed games but in um in 10 dead rats we're playing the enemy within and those modules are just chock full of very evocative artwork. Just chock full of them. Yeah. And yeah. this is cases where probably if I was running it at a table, I would do something really awkward, like hold up the module and like try to cover the text yeah. and be like, everybody look at this picture. Yeah. And instead yeah, I'm like, exactly. oh, I'll just I'll just screen cap the picture off the yeah. off the uh, PDF and I'll chuck it up there and be like, here you go. Here's a picture of a the the weird Fully armored knights who just walked into the bar and are drinking out of straws for some reason.
0: Well, now that you mentioned that, <laughs> see, now you're making me want to go back to the earliest, uh, the earliest TSR adventures that had really, really elaborate illustration maps, like Tumahar's or Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and run that online again to. Um, to to have to everybody really, everybody really appreciate the 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 amazing artwork of yeah, the handout
1: the yeah that's actually a good idea that's a good idea yeah. you know the other thing I always yeah. liked and I liked this in the paper product and it would probably translate really well digitally is any module that comes with both a DM and a player map so I'm thinking here right. of like I mean even as far back as Palace of the Vampire Queen which came with like you know maps that you're supposed to hand to your players oh. that are somewhat in, included but also um one of my favorite ones for that was always um uh the oh is it the house on haunted the hill something is that am i am i saying that one right is it that it is an old um
0: is that- uh, i think i is think i'm thing- getting it right yeah <laughs> I'm getting confused with the, with the board game in the last in recent years.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm thinking specifically here of a module that was um, not TSR, but um, gosh, now now I'm trying to draw n- too many names into my head at the same time and they're colliding. Uh, anyway, irrelevant. Point is the the module surround uh, the module is all around this haunted house that is gone during the day and only appears at night
0: and right, right. if the
1: players examine the area they can get sort of a, a vague sense of the of the perimeter of the building because they can look at the foundation and so the way I've always run this is to hand out a map that is here is the outline of the building that you're about to explore and it just has the, the raw perimeter drawn and then when the building appears and they start exploring it they can draw in the internals house on hangman's hill
0: maybe hangman's hill Okay, I think that's the board game. Maybe maybe it's Haunted House of Kaizen? No. Is there any chance that's... No.
1: It is a Judge's Guild. It's called House on Hangman's Hill. There's a Judge's Guild module. Okay. I Found okay. it okay. At last. Okay. 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 Good Good, call. good call. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great module. I've run it a couple of times. I enjoy it.
0: Thank you, Indexing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. excellent, yeah. Yeah. So stuff yeah, like the, that for I think maps, would be for, for, for exploratory maps. I've I've actually been really pleasantly surprised by how much better that works actually than um... okay. but, and, and the and, and the larger the group you have, the better the better it works.
1: Yeah. The oh, larger my. the group, the better.
0: What works having exploratory maps. Uh, visibility, on, on. yeah, or exploratory maps and or illustrations or handouts. What
1: about player generated maps? Because I know you experimented with this a bunch, right? What about the ability for you to rather rather than you fog of warring out the the map and then revealing sections of you just continuing to describe and making a player responsible for drawing in the details.
0: Uh, So I had, I I experimented on my end a little bit with, I had an idea to do that and make it as as old school as humanly possible on roll 20. And I haven't actually confronted players with that yet. So I'm only, I'm only about halfway there in my experiment. I, I would be interested if anybody following the chat has observations about player made maps, just like, so with a blank screen or sheet or something, verbally describe and have players keep track of it, how that has worked for them or what tools they've used. Um, so I, ha- I had an idea and I was like doing some drawing on Roll20 and it was like, oh, I see how, I see a couple of things are gonna block this from being really perfect. <laughs> um, I would like, but I would, I, I mean, I would really like to get back to that. I would like to have verbal descriptions, have players do the tracking mapping and then have the whole like, the map isn't it actually perfect. It's only kind of halfway perfect, and if you get it wrong, you might actually get lost or down a dead end hallway. I would kind of like to have that, that aspect of the exploration come back. I, I I fear I might be, I might possibly be down a dead end corridor myself on that, and maybe I should just like move over to taking that issue off the table for the players.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I. I know, I super want to try it,
1: because especially now, just having discussed the House on Hangman's Hill game, like, that's how I would want to run that, right? I would want to hand them, okay. here's the outline, you fill in the details, and so I need the players yes. to be able to write something. So here's a theory, because here's a new to- another topic I wanted to talk about around this. Um, I think you could pull it off with Vorpal um, board. That's what I would try. okay Okay. so so vorpal board for folks who haven't checked it out is is i i kind of always think of vorpal board as the virtual tabletop that kind of best sits in the middle between digital and physical right roll 20 and um uh the other and now i'm failing to remember the other names of the other similar virtual tabletops but that that all feels highly digital to me whereas vorpal board what it's it's meant to do is you use a phone and you point it at your actual tabletop and it presents that as the board and then um and then you run your game it also has integrated video chat and blah 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 and and dice rolling and etc but um the idea being that like you'll maybe set out some dwarven forge or you'll put a you know wet erase mat on the table and you just have a camera pointed at that and you're just going to draw and move miniatures around And the players can. Each player has a pointer, and they can point and say, "I want to move from here to there." And then the DM, presumably who's got the the map, is moving moving stuff around. So it kind of presents this hybrid mode of like you're still using all the physical elements you used to use at the real table. We've just made a way for you to share that visually with all your players. So here's my theory. Here's my idea. It's totally ad hoc. Uh, But uh, what if you were to? what if you were rather than have the DM have that that shared view, give it to one of the players, the mapper as it were. Right? Right. And then they're just pointing the camera at their piece of graph paper and they're drawing. <clears throat> I think that So that would only be
0: one person again. Obviously. It would be one
1: person drawing, but everyone right. would have high visibility into the map and could talk yeah. about it and yeah. discuss it. Yeah. But one one yeah. person has to be responsible for the actual
0: drawing, for sure. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Which I think, uh, Uh, if the
1: the players are drawing, one person has to be responsible, right? They can't all get in there with all, like, I can't imagine how this would work in a real world, right? You put a piece of graph paper in the middle of the table, give everyone a pencil and go, you enter a 20 by 20 room, right? They're not (laughs) going to reach forward and draw. My
0: my experience of having, you know, the pre-made thing scanned out of the adventure, um, having Fog of War being, you know, uh, uh, removed from time to time, and having anybody jump in with uh, with annotations uh worked really surprisingly well i actually did have multiple people without any p- particular pre-planning jump in and add annotations marks notes where the enemies were notes where there are you know implements like a carpet of a particular color or a gong or a secret door or something mm-hmm. like that and at least having the uh, the outline of where the corridors were pre-made for them and annotating having everybody cooperate worked really, really surprisingly well. Um, so uh, I guess that worked. So just kind of looking at the, the, the comments here, I think the consensus seems to be that that has not, uh, that player mapping in things like Roll20 has not worked very well yeah. for anybody. And it looks like William, Eric, Joshua, and Desperol all agree you've tried that and it hasn't worked so well. There are times when, you know, you go back to the, the, the beginning of film cinema, um, early part of the 20th century, and, you know, there was a lot of people's instincts from stage theater that people were, in the early films, people are using the same ideas of framing and proscenium and, you know, uh, vocalizations, or, or at least how, how you're, how you're, um, um, profiling yourself the audience that really weren't ideal for film that were really stage things that people had to discover right. new ways of using a new medium and I, I certainly worry sometimes that I, I, I love the old-school stuff I love verbal delivery of the exploration I kind of want to hang on to that but there are times I'm definitely on a fence about is that a huge mistake and are the ways that are going to work in the new medium just totally different from that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes kind of that I fear that, that, I'm, that I'm going to be uh, the person being laughed at the way a lot of early films are laughed at for using obvious theatrical techniques that they really needed to evolve past. Maybe we need to evolve what the game form looks like. Yeah, maybe. Maybe.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I still feel like there's, there's some experiments that can be done to see if we can reclaim some of those elements yeah. but uh, but I agree in general like it's not like the game is terrible without those elements right like uh that you know even even we would look all the way back to my birthday game that we streamed as our first live streamed game ever um, even though that was in person I was using a projector to show a map and reveal areas via fog of war yeah. rather now you were also Dan drawing you were drawing it because mm-hmm. um, I think in that case there was no permanence right unlike Unlike, say, in Roll20, where it's easy to pop around and look at different maps. In this case, it was like, no, once it's not in front of your face, it's gone. So you, right. for your permanent record, you had better be drawing your own map. Which maybe you could right. still pull off with Roll20, to be honest. Maybe you still could. I don't know. You need, like, maybe, a, a maybe fog so. of war that fills itself back in afterwards. Hmm. Nope, that's a different feature that doesn't exist. Okay. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I going? There was there was another thing uh, I wanted to touch on here because it came up in the chat. Um, uh, let's see. William had a very nice uh, comment here uh, about uh, one drawback to virtual is the increase for interruptions. When we play in my living room, we can be focused, but with virtual chat, you get people popping in, pets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that's just honestly. Um, You know, we didn't really talk about that part of it, right? But there's the video chat element of it, which um, whether you're using Roll20's embedded system or in my case, I'm using Zoom or what have you, um, you know, video chat is difficult to get around. Video chat is, you know, we often accidentally talk over each other. So there's that that latency issue is difficult. No, we don't. We
0: never do that.
1: Yeah. You can't have side (laughs) conversations, right? Your group, your players can't have side conversations, right? Unless you come up with some alternative of like, oh, also we're texting each other or something. Um, because only one person can talk at a time, and that's a difficulty. Um, I I'll I will even say uh, there's just like a a, a a weird psychological hurdle for me sometimes to just go and sit down and play the game. Um, you know, where, whereas I used to like pack my bag, I put all my books and my screen and my dice in my bag, and I go out to the car and I drive, and it was like this exciting, like okay, I'm go- I'm gonna go play D anD D. This is fun, right? And it would it would just be this emotional up uh, crescendo to actually arriving at the table and playing the game. Whereas getting prepared I find for a game when I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go sit at my desk in front of my computer again, like I've been doing all day for work. Like It's kind of a drag. It's kind of a drag, and I almost have to fight it and continually remind myself, no, no, you're going to do something fun. Remember that this is going to be fun.
0: I will say that, um, um, particularly in the last couple of weeks, I think I've, again, maybe I'm slow to realize this, I need to find more opportunities and reasons to get away from the computer. Yeah, Um, I need, I need to specifically find reasons to get up and just go any place else and do any anything whatsoever to have my eyes not at this particular focal length um, Mm -hmm. and not be have my hand on the mouse and just to refresh my my brain, frankly. Um, And certainly I I have discovered that being at the computer, I kind of lose my long term, I kind of lose my long term strategizing thought process quite a bit. And once I when I get up and go away for about 10 minutes, maybe take a shower or something like that. um, All of a sudden, I start remembering the long term items that I that I was kind of trying to be focused on that I've lost. So particularly in this particular environment, um, I feel that uh, I feel not excited about being sitting down to a computer again. And have to have to design other things to refresh myself before I sit back down to an online game.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think Dan, you and I are both kind of standing DMS, right? Like we both prefer to actually stand behind the table.
0: That's a really great point,
1: you know, which uh, can't, can't do. Can't do now that's unless really you have a standing point. desk. But even then, that's not the same, right? It's still not the same. Like, I, something about standing and getting that wider view and being able to see everyone and all the stuff. And like, and I don't know there's almost this kind of emotional d- response of like, I'm, I'm, I've pulled back
0: a little bit from the game so I can take it all in. Yeah, 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 totally. And you know, as far as performing and acting, getting full uh, vocal range. Uh, you know, having your body upright and having full, you know, um, uh, respiration, et cetera, et cetera, um, it was a big thing for both of us. And and yeah. when I when I DM in person, I I don't have a chair. I just discard the chair. Um, and if you go back to again, if you go back to the uh, your birthday game from now i guess it was 2019 (laughs) that's archived on you know the wandering dms on youtube you'll see us struggling with that at one point it's like sometimes you're sitting down and then there is a segment where you get rid of the chair and you stand up like you normally do and we had to like you and i had to cooperate a bit on like where are you standing and mark where it's good and get the camera right and all that kind of stuff for the for the right that's right I totally forgot that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We put like a, we put like some tape on the floor or something of like, when right. you want to stand, here's right. where you do it.
0: Right. Exactly, right. Just the microphone picking you up properly. When I first thought about running online games, my absolute first thought was I need to get a lectern because I've got to stand up.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: a camera yeah. And then like, where the books go? And then that isn't my normal computer position. And uh, it it was a- that was actually probably my number one priority of how do I do it standing up and I just I I I just had to I just had to give up on that idea. Yeah. I and will really kind of really.
1: I will say for my um, for my weekly five E game, I do it at my normal work desk, which I think somebody uh, pointed out here in the in the chat that they noticed. Uh, here we go, BB says, uh, you know, maybe that feeling hasn't hit me, because my work computer is a different physical device from my personal one. So like, yeah, having a different space, or a different room, or a different machine that you're going to use for the game versus work is good. Uh, however, in this case, um, for, my, um, uh, for my, my weekly game, I am using my work space, because one of the nice things is I do have a standing desk, and that was kind of a thing that became in vogue, uh, just prior to COVID, there was a, a lot. See, I was seeing that a lot more in my, in my offices and whatnot. So when I set up my home office, I got one of these. Basically, it's just a platform that sits on top of the normal desk that can be raised and lowered so that every now and then during those games, I will, in fact, stand up and raise the desk up. Uh, and so I do get some of the things you're talking about. I do get that I get to stand upright. I get the better respiration, Light. right? I'm, I, I get to stretch my back a little, which is nice. Uh, I might shift, you know, I might take a step left or right, which is nice. But my view is still constrained to the monitor. Yes. And that's yeah. disappointing. That's I, like I want the yeah. longer focal length. I want, you know, the different view of the, of the, of the board and the player's. Right.
0: Right. yeah i yeah. mean the other re- i mean it took the mouse and the keyboard and stuff like that come up with yeah yeah i mean the other thing for me standing up was important was that is that it also gave me mobility to um step around the table and go and interact one-on-one closely yes. with one player yes, yes so particularly if someone had a question and again other side conversations can be happening so i'm not delaying anything but if someone was what either had a specific question a detailed question or was a new player, I could go around and say I, you know, and, and physically give myself to that person saying I'm paying attention to you right now um, in person. I liked having that mobility, yeah. um, which which, which, is, which goes away in this environment. You know, I haven't been able to
1: run any of my Cthulhu games, um, largely because most of those are very prop heavy. And so I can't okay. hand prop I can't hand physical props to players, which sucks. Um, but also, I'll even point out, like, there's one game uh, which has, has this delightful opening that I can't do virtually, which was uh, all the players are given pre-made characters that have some background information and reasons to want to talk to each other. And I start with this opening scene where they all kind of collide in the same space and are about yeah. to trade information yeah. with each other. And okay. when I run that game, I specifically have everyone read their backgrounds, and then I just say, begin. Begin. And they immediately start talking to each other. And they're running right. the game at this point. And I, when I've run this at conventions, I immediately get up and start running around the, the table. And I'm just like, who's got a question? Who's got a question? Oh, you want to know this, right? And I'm just like plugging in the bits of information that they're not sure about as they as they talk to each other. But usually there's two or three simultaneous conversations going on. And it's very chaotic. And and I love it. And it's a totally different weirdo kind of DMing for about the first 10 minutes of the game as this happens.
0: To to me, I feel like the biggest loss of running a game online is the is the mono channel. The, the, single, yeah. the only one person can be talking at a time, and I feel like that's a that's a great loss. What you're describing, I mean, it, you know, I, I i i've been I've been there, and I've seen that, and it's brilliant. It feels very Bronstein-y to me. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, Paul, you've actually played in a game with David Wesley. I have. Um, yeah. Like, like, am am I? Does does that seem? And it wasn't the, you know, at least that particular session wasn't apparently the best thing that ever happened in the universe. But am I right about that? Does that that sort of how it's it's a little larpish,
1: honestly. It's a little larpish, and frankly, all of my Cthulhu games with my heavy use of props and silly tricks like the one I just described are a little larpish, right? Uh, Honestly, to to be honest, it's a little, yeah. And and yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's fun. I like it.
0: Now, let me touch on before we get yeah. before we run out of time in the hour. and Of yeah. course, we thought yeah, we yeah, 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 Well, this is only going to be like a ten minute conversation. and We find out more, more. But, you know, particularly with the two people in the, the live chat helping us out with all kinds of great ideas. Um, you know, one thing I, I again I like when when we when Isabel and I have the Saturday night or holiday book of war game. You know, having the physical miniatures in our hands and having it be you know, be any orientation um, uh, and being very freeform like that, I would not want to try and run a war game like that online. Like that, I'm very stuck on the physical miniatures. I'm super fortunate to have somebody in the house um, who's willing to uh, run a miniature war game with me and also actually, you know, stream it, perform it. So as far as a war game, you know, physical war game goes, I would really not want to get away from the physical miniatures.
1: Well, if you... um... You know, if you wanted a game like that, that's more heavily miniature-based. I think that there's a show online where you can see an example of this. It's called The Big Bad. And basically, the DM (laughs) has this big, elaborate miniature board that moves, and he moves the camera around so they can get different (laughs) angles. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a lot of work. It It was a a lot lot of work. work. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I don't know. A, That's lot, like a of lot of planning nature. and a lot of work went into that. Dude, That's you an interesting to question. To call
0: the dwarven forge company and get like their
1: assistance. <laughs> what? It's a, sort of an interesting side question. There is: <laughs> Would I run a normal D anD D game like that in that way? Um, not off the cuff, to be honest. It would take a lot of setup and a lot of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of uh, <laughs> effort. I think to get that up and running. Um, but <laughs> I, mean, I should check that out. Doesn't this? Isn't this, isn't you this how? Isn't this how Jay Scott runs his games uh, on um, on uh, well, really the Lord Gasamba Twitch channel? I think yeah. I every time I've looked at that I see him he's got cameras on a big board and he's moving them around and giving people different views. That's
0: a really good point. That's a really good point. I think that say so it's the big bag you say. Interesting. <laughs> that's I <laughs>
1: Very nice. Put up on uh, YouTube later on. Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, actually, that's a good point. Um, but again, you know, I was talk- I'm talking war game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I-, I wanted where 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 all the players have their hands on the pieces. Yeah. yeah. Right. Where all their ha- all the players feel the the fi- the physical concrete mass in their hands and can move it specifically to their um, yeah uh, to their uh, liking. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You're right. Uh, Lord Gasemba runs yeah. really, really successful, really, really great miniature heavy games on, on his Twitch channel. No doubt yeah. about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. War games yeah. is an interesting problem. Um, definitely some folks are talking about that now in the in the in the chat. And yeah, it's it's like one of the big problems you'll see happen in the big bed is just the ability to estimate distance. Right. Is actually very difficult. I think that's what I'm talking about uh right right so that's that's yeah. tough and then and then you could you play a war game and say something like roll 20 probably but roll 20 gives you precise measurements so if you unless you're okay with always having precise measurements then maybe that's not going to work either yeah I yeah. Agree with that. yeah yeah
0: and here's the, okay so, and here's the last thing i'm going back i'm so this was a comment that william put in the chat so you know, there's no, almost no chance you're going to find this because this was 11 minutes past the hour is uh William, just read here. William said, okay yeah. so it's 13 11 54 was the time stamp on it if you
1: can find give, me, give me some of the words he uh, said start reading it
0: uh, online digital goods comment was on online digital goods which I think was a great Great. Uh, perspective. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, you, you win that one, Siegel. You won that one. Did All right. Read it, read, read it off that.
1: to us. Read it off to us, Dan.
0: Uh, so William said, um, online digital goods always make me nervous. Like when Amazon took away people's e-reader copies of 1984 a few years back. Also features like the rules creep from other products that you just mentioned. And I, I really agree with William on that um i, I also uh, among the things i stay away from are online uh you know purchases online purchase of digital, digital copies and i think just in the last week or two we've seen music services go out of business and you know video services go out of business that you've supposedly purchased when 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 i'm going to see an amazon when i'm going to go get a movie from amazon digitally and it says purchase it i'm like that's it's not really purchasing that's not really a thing Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the ironic thing, of course, is that you and I, Paul, started our, mm-hmm. our uh, game industry experience at a company that was doing virtual properties. Yep. And this was also on my mind this week because I ran into a question on uh, Stack Exchange video games with somebody running into a problem with virtual property they were giving away that was being traded and people were making new accounts to get extra free stuff and the trading all collapsed. Um, and, uh, do, 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 you use, uh, much purchased virtual goods in your role-playing games these days, Paul, or have you stayed away from that to date?
1: A few. Um, I mean, certainly I purchased yeah. the 5e core books on D&D Beyond, right? Because, mm-hmm. because you need to, to use it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I've done that. Um, okay. I will, I guess I will point out when you and I played, um, we played a Cthulhu game very briefly. We did like a three-session Cthulhu game, which you can find on our channel somewhere. Um, we we were using Roll Twenty, and I um, for the miniatures for that, I found some really good purchasable artwork that was just too good not to buy. Like the price point was low enough, I was like, "Yep, okay, I'm just going to buy these." Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, I've used I've used some, I've used some, I would say. Um, okay. I, I mean, certainly, I've bought books for my Kindle uh, that I read, for sure. All right. You know, I right. and 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 I would I guess I would say like DMs Guild, right? Like uh, I have a lot of modules that were purchased. Now those are purchased as like downloadable PDF. So I don't know, maybe that doesn't right. quite hit the the money of what you're looking for here.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That to me that feels different. If I can get a, a local copy of something and be responsible for archiving it, that feels very very different than something that only exists on a virtual service that could theoretically be taken away at any time. Um, yeah. And you're right. Uh, you know, I get copies of the fifth edition uh, core books for D D Beyond in order to make the characters with Um I I tend to be really really um, cautious about that. And I, tend, I certainly tend to go out of my way to find open source resources um, uh, anytime I possibly can to support those kinds of softwares and those kinds of platforms if I can. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, re- I do share William's concern about you know, issues like bit rot and um, you know, long term um, availability. I certainly like among the reasons that I like, you know, having physical books is that they last a long time. You know, mm-hmm. like my physical books will outlast me. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like that. Um, we don't have digital services that can that can to date that can say the same thing. And that's certainly for me, it takes a little bit more effort to go out of my way looking for open source resources like that. But I do try to do that anytime I can. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we're about out of time here, Dan. So, uh, any final thoughts on on digital versus uh, in person play? How how playing digitally has affected your games?
0: I, I like John Miller's comment that all the world's a tabletop. I like that a lot. But he just, he just it, that's, that might be possibly the best the best closing statement we can come up with. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, I mostly for my online games, I've, I've used mostly uh, the same tools and I have a screen to the side and I have books to the side um, and the, the nice, the, the, the mapping, uh, I would love to find a way to have players uh, draw the map. And I don't think any of us have a, have a silver bullet, have a silver dagger for mm-hmm. that particular item yet. Um, but the main th- you know the, but I was really happy with the pre-made maps with fog of war. I was really surprisingly happy with people immediately jumping in and annotating and cooperating with that map. So I feel like I feel like a couple of steps away maybe we need a new tool uh, that kind of opens opens that up. <laughs> um, uh, but, but having everything be visible and having everybody be able to cooperate a little bit better has been a really nice a nice feature for online play and I like yeah. that
1: yeah. Yeah, I would say I don't feel like there's a clear winner here of, like, definitely A is better than B um, in terms of online play versus, versus face-to-face play. I feel like it's very easy to just get accustomed very quickly to the benefits of digital play and then, and then discount them. And so then you, you continue to kind of yearn for the stuff you can't do and don't really talk about the things that you've gained uh, in terms of playing digitally. Uh, so that's Absolutely. there's that um that said i don't know it'd be nice uh to be in a world where i got to choose from day to day which one i wanted to do but we're not there are we uh <laughs> so digital digital play is going to be it for a while i think still um and I think it'll be
0: really interesting I can't predict what, what it'll look like and that'll be a digital world v3 or something like that yeah, I can't yeah, predict yeah. how what's, what, what's going to be sticky and what won't afterwards
1: I'm I'm sure there's going to be a pendulum swing back once, once we can all get together around the gaming table of course we're going to do that and possibly I'll even go out on a limb here and predict that we're going to see some new games that will get invented in that time period that really lean in to physical presence um but then eventually, maybe we'll get back to a point where we can like distance ourselves and talk about, uh, you know, what's better, and you know, pick and choose how we want to play the game. Agreed. That's Agreed. my theory. That That's my theory.
0: That definitely. Yep. I'll sign off on that. Excellent.
1: Well, uh, time for us to wander off. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you have any thoughts yourself on digital versus in-person play, how how playing digitally for almost a year now has affected your games, please let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, if you have ideas for future topics that you'd like to hear on this channel, please leave those as well. We'd love to hear it.
0: Definitely. Uh, thanks again to Dan Ebert who gave us the idea for this particular episode As The Matter of Fact. So, yeah, we look at those comments and we do use those. To inspire our future shows and and the the present show that you're experiencing right now. (laughs) Um, Also, remember, of course, that you can like and follow and subscribe to us on various social media sites like YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and also Facebook. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So please look for us there.
1: Likewise, you can listen to our show in audio-only format if you prefer. Uh, You can find those uh, audio-only podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various uh, carriers of podcasts like Google Podcasts and iTunes and Spotify. If you're listening to us from one of those other carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us on their site. Uh, That helps us a lot and helps other folks find our show.
0: We really do appreciate that. And the other thing we appreciate, of course, is a huge thanks to those uh, who support uh, the Wandering DMs channel and Wandering DMs show. Um, If you would like uh, to join our generous patrons, uh, please go to patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And you'll see the three different tier levels that we have. And if you can support us in the various shows that we're planning for 2021, uh, we would, as always, enormously, enormously appreciate that. Uh Paul will be back on Thursday with another uh, 10 Dead Rats episode at 8 from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time so please look for that uh, in that that block right before Critical Role where you're wondering what do I do with my life waiting for Critical Role to come on. Uh, well, <laughs> the perfect solution is watch 10 Dead Rats from from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so you should do that. And uh, we will have our normal, uh, I think we're going to have our normal uh, Discord chat uh, right after this show for patrons. Uh, patrons only benefit, among other things, if you go to patroncom slash And Anything I'm forgetting, Paul? I think that's... Let's the upcoming, I, I, I think that's upcoming a bit
1: about it for now. I will mention that uh, Dan and I have been talking quite a bit about uh, extra patron-only content to be adding in 2021. So uh, just another enticement, uh, although very non-specific from me at the moment, uh, to to join the Patreon. But uh, do expect to see some more uh, patron-only content coming soon.
0: We definitely we, we're definitely looking forward to doing that with everybody, uh, and of course, don't forget that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time for this D&D talk show. So we hope that you will join us in the live chat for another thought-provoking discussion next week. We'll see you then.